In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was a Tuesday afternoon, and I had a very important meeting. I was to meet my daughter's future mother-in-law. Oh my, the pressure was on. She picked me up at the Chicago airport. Of course she wanted to know what kind of person I was, as I did her. So in the car, on our way to our very first lunch together, she began to investigate. She knew I was an Anglican priest, but wanted to check out exactly what that meant. What sort of a person was her son's future mother-in-law? Well, not ten minutes into the first conversation we've ever had, she comes right out and asks, Are you a born-again Christian? She sounded vaguely hostile. (laughs) Oh, no, I thought. What does she even think that means? Well, I was concerned she might think I was a right-wing fundamentalist. The point is, lots of people use expression without understanding it. And I was concerned about her reaction. I didn't want, in these first few minutes of our getting to know one another, to totally turn her off. But somehow, the situation struck me as funny. And I started to laugh. (laughs) Yes, I told her. I am a born-again Christian. (laughs) What does that mean to you, I asked. She graciously responded, Spirituality is an area of my life that I have not pursued very much. She went on to describe to me several worship experiences she had had that she had enjoyed during her travels. So she then asked me, My most favorite question. How did this happen? Why did you become a priest? So out came my testimony in the first 30 minutes that I met her. But that question, are you born again, is the issue at the heart of a conversation between an inquisitive lawyer and Jesus that happened some 2,000 years ago. And we need to look at that conversation to examine our gospel lesson for today. The lawyer, Nicodemus, seems timid. He's afraid to talk with other people about his desire to see Jesus. So he keeps quite quiet around his colleagues and friends and neighbors. But in his own heart, He's perhaps thinking, I want to see Jesus. I want to talk with him. I want to find out about this kingdom he keeps talking about. Even though I am a religious leader, I still feel like there's something missing in my life. I'm longing for something more. Have you ever felt this way? Well, Nicodemus represented the best and noblest in Judaism. He was a Pharisee 
and a ruler in the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews. He was wealthy and highly respected. These things were important to him. He was concerned about what other people might think if he were interested in Jesus. But I think Nicodemus was also a sincere seeker. He came secretly at night. But the important thing is, is that he came. He wasn't prepared to condemn the new movement associated with Jesus unheard. He had an independent mind and was determined to get his questions answered. Nicodemus was an honest inquirer and certainly not a coward. By the way, we know that the search was rewarded because we find him later in the gospel as a believer when he helps Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus. Asking questions like Nicodemus did is a good thing to do. God rewards those who diligently seek him. Anyway, back to this first encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus seems to understand that Jesus is from God. He tells Jesus, no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus appears to read Nicodemus's thoughts and goes right to the heart of the matter. Very truly, he tells him, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Jesus tells Nicodemus this three times of the absolute necessity of being born again. Nicodemus appears to be at a loss. So Jesus tells him his problem is that he does not receive the testimony he has been given. Nicodemus is trying to understand about being born again, but he's confused. It's so, it's really no different today. So what does being born again mean? There are so many misconceptions. What it is not is a gargantuan effort to turn over a new leaf and reform ourselves. It's not being pious, tithing, attending church every Sunday, serving the poor, and so forth. Although these are all good things. You can have attended church every Sunday of your life and not be born again. Being born again is a spiritual birth at the initiative of God the Father, who allows the Holy Spirit to enter our personality and change us from within. Our behavior, attitudes, and motives change. When we are born again, we are able to see the kingdom of God. We see things that w- to which we were previously blind, and Jesus becomes our Lord and directs our life. So the question is to all of you today, must Anglicans be born again? The answer is, that's right, absolutely yes. It is indispensable if we are to become authentic followers of Jesus Christ and have eternal life. So Nicodemus hears it is absolutely necessary that he be born again. 
he wonders, does this new birth hold the key to satisfy my deepest longings? If so, I want to understand it. He is interested in this new birth, but he is a man who thinks he needs to understand the deepest mysteries of God. He wants to know how this rebirth takes place. Jesus quits trying to explain the new birth in spiritual language that Nicodemus cannot grasp. Instead, he begins to point to himself as the Son of Man, who was in heaven with the Father and who has come down for a purpose. And now, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you what I came to do. And this is the key to answer your question, how you can be born again. I will tell you how you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells him and us how to be born again in a way that he will not forget. Using scripture, he draws a picture for Nicodemus of what would soon take place on the cross. A picture that when it would come to pass, Nicodemus would know without a doubt that Jesus was God's own son, the Messiah that he had been waiting for. Knowing Nicodemus studies the Torah, Jesus points him to the book of Numbers. He tells him, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Let's quickly review the story in Numbers. The children of Israel, between Egypt and Canaan, the Promised Land, were crossing wild Edomite territory at the foot of Mount Hor. Once again, for the umpteenth time, they rebelled against God and against Moses. On this occasion, God's judgment fell on them in terms of a plague of poisonous serpents. Can't think of much anything yuckier. Many of the Israelites died. So they cried to God for mercy, and their judge became their savior, as he still does. God instructed Moses to make a replica in bronze of the poisonous serpent and to stick it on a pole in full view of the camp. And God promised that whenever a serpent bit someone, if he just looked at the bronze serpent, he would live. Let's take a closer look at this story so we can see how it represents God's solution for our sin. The serpent on the pole is not preventative. It's for people who have been bitten. The poison is in them, and without divine intervention, they will die. The serpents in the camp are from the Lord. He sent them. God's judgment is on his people for their ingratitude and rebellion. 
God chooses to rescue his people from his own curse. The means God chooses to rescue his people is a picture of the curse itself, a serpent, which was to be lifted up. All the Israelites have to do in order to be saved from God's judgment is just to look at his provision hanging on the pole. They just have to trust what God tells them to do. However, if they do not take advantage of God's provision for them, they will surely die from the serpent's bite. So just as the bronze serpent on the pole was God's remedy for snake bite, so Christ on his cross is God's remedy for sin and guilt. As Galatians 3.13 tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In becoming like the serpent, Christ became the embodiment of our sin and the embodiment of our curse. And in becoming sin and a curse for us, Jesus provided the way out from judgment for us. So just as every bitten Israelite had to look in order to live, we likewise have to look to Christ in order to receive eternal life. The remedy of the bitten Israelites was a brown serpent, and the remedy for sinners is Christ crucified. Now, no doubt, some of the children of Israel said, when they heard that a brown serpent lifted up on a pole was to be the means of their cure, this is absolute nonsense. Many of them, no doubt, laughed in unbelief. Absurd, ridiculous, whoever heard of such a thing, how can this be? A serpent of bronze lifted on a pole to cure these wounds by being looked upon? Impossible. Well, so goes the response of many people today who despise Christ crucified. For the message about the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power and wisdom of God. What is so wonderful about the message of the cross is that God has done it all. He did everything necessary for us to be saved, and it is available to everyone. You must just look to Christ on the cross and believe in him. It's that simple. Just look. Look to Christ, who was lifted up on the cross to bear our sin and guilt in his own innocent person in order that we might live again. We need to keep to look and keep on looking at Christ crucified. Theologian Karl Barth made sure he thought about what Christ had done for him on the cross by every day. 
Above his desk, where he wrote over 8,000 pages of theology, he had a picture. It was a copy of Grindelwald's painting of the crucifixion. This painting is organized around the gruesome, tortured figure of the crucified Christ. On the left of the cross stands a beloved disciple, cradling Mary in his arms. And on the right stands John the Baptist, his hands directing the viewer's gaze to the crucified Lamb of God. Bart wrote, Shall we dare turn our eyes in the direction of the pointing hand of Grindelwald's John? We know whether it points. It points to Christ. But to Christ the crucified, we must immediately add, That is your direction, says the hand, the only source for the real, the immediate revelation of God is death. He brought life to light out of death. This looking to and trusting personally in Christ is what so many people miss, even those who attend church. I know I did for many, many years. God, for his part, has done everything necessary for our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Our Father has done everything that is necessary. Now he waits for us to respond Because whoever believes in him, adult, young person, child, male, female, rich, poor, a little bit of a sinner or a whole lot of a sinner, whoever puts his or her trust in Christ crucified as Savior will live, will receive eternal life, will be born again, and begin the new life that he offers Don't miss it. It's for you. Augustine once said, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. So I could read John 3.16. God so loved Anne that he gave his only son so that Anne who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Or, how about with your name? As I say this verse again, insert your name in the blank. God so loved that he gave his only son so that who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. The point is, God loves you. Indeed, if you were the only person he ever created, he would have died for you. Can you see him in your imagination, lifted up on the cross as he said he would be, to bear your sin and judgment in your place so that you might be forgiven? Have you put your trust in him? If not, 
I want to invite you to ask him to be your savior this morning. If you would like to be born again today, pray this prayer in your heart. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you were prepared not only to take on our human nature in your birth, but also our sin and guilt in your death. I want to be born again. I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I look up to you, Jesus. I put my trust in you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen.